the rustling sound is Tim eating his chocolate that Eddie and Annie kindly <laughs> bought for us. So this is session nine. Uh, it's entitled Forgiving from the Heart. If I ask you the question, what gives Satan the greatest opportunity to defeat Christians? I wonder what your answer would be. Maybe occult activity, cults and sex, or sins of the flesh. I don't know what you would say, but 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 and 11 says this. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The truth is that we experience mental torment if we do not forgive from our hearts. Nothing keeps us in bondage to the past more than unforgiveness. Nothing gives Satan a greater opportunity to stop us growing as Christians as unforgiveness, personal unforgiveness. So the need to forgive, top of page 70. Think of the worst thing that anybody ever did or said to you. The, the question that we have to face tonight is this. And if we don't face it, then we're just playing with this as a subject. And it's too important a subject to play at. The question we have to face is this. Why should you forgive them? Why should you forgive the person who said or did the thing that you consider to be the worst thing that's ever been said or done to you? That's what we're looking at tonight. So the first reason is that it is required by God. Matthew 6 Verse 9, this, is then, this then is how you should pray. Our, hev our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. When we pray that, the Lord's Prayer, which if you were were brought up in this nation as I was, we would recount every day at school by rote, not really considering what the words meant. But if you actually think that prayer that Jesus taught through, it might not sound much, but it has huge implications. It means that somehow our relationship with God is inextricably bound up in our relationship with other people. We can't have a right relationship with God completely in isolation to our relationships with other people. Jesus carried on by saying, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now you need to apply this verse correctly. Because God relates to us as judge and as father. 
God is judge and God is father. Once we're saved, once we're in Christ, which is what we spent most of the time looking at last week, we no longer have an issue, in a sense, with God as judge. God as judge has already judged Dale Barlow. He found Dale Barlow guilty. Jesus decided to pay the penalty. Dale Barlow is set free. Hallelujah. Are you with me? As far as it comes to judge, God as judge for Dale Barlow holds no fear. I've been judged, I've been found guilty, but the penalty has been paid. Are you with me? I do not fear God as judge. However, God as Father. Now that's an entirely different matter. And of course Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's teaching those whose judgment has been dealt with, but it's Father. And so what Jesus is basically saying is that it's our relationship with God as we relate to God as Father, which is at stake. But if there are people that you have not forgiven... God will not allow you to be comfortable at peace. He will, he will not allow his relationship with you to be all that it should be and as harmonious as it should be all the time there is unforgiveness issues. So as they say, our eternal destiny is secure but our daily victory is at stake. Our freedom as Christians is what is at stake. So the second reason why we need to forgive, if the first one is required by God, the second one is this, it is essential for our freedom. In Matthew 18, 21, says this, Then Peter came up to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I bet Peter thought he was sounding quite pious <laughs> and charitable. Seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, I don't think Jesus was suggesting to Peter that Peter kind of just simply went off and counted off the 77 times. I let him off that one, let him off, let him off, let him off. And then when he got to the 78th time, took out a gun and shot him. I don't think that's really what Jesus was talking about. Probably because they hadn't invented guns in those days or shot an arrow at him or something. Jesus is saying, do you know what, Peter? You need to continue to forgive but you need to continue to forgive for your own sake, for your sake. See, God doesn't want his children to be full of bitterness and bound to the past. And that's why he wants us to continually forgive. The third reason, if you like, or the thing that you've got to get our heads around is the extent of our own debt. We've got to understand the extent of our own debt. In Luke 7, there's a story where a Pharisee called Simon threw a party and invited lots of people, including Jesus. And a woman slipped in, I think, <coughs> unnoticed, who had lived a very simple life. And she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she dried his feet with her hair. And then she proceeded to kiss his feet again and again and again. And Simon, this behaviour of this woman got right up Simon's nose and he was thinking to himself, if this Jesus is really a prophet, if he's really a man of God and he knows what kind of woman this is and the terrible sinful life that she's led, he'd never let her do it. And Jesus says to Simon, basically, suppose someone had been forgiven a debt of £50 and somebody else had been forgiven a debt of £500. Which one would love the person who forgave them the most? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who 
has been forgiven the most, the one who'd been forgiven 500 pounds. And Jesus says, you're right. You see, when I came to this house, you didn't wash my feet, but this woman did with her own tears. You didn't dry them, but she did. You didn't give me a welcome kiss, Simon, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I got here. So we need to understand that what Jesus is saying is that those who realise they have been forgiven much, love much. But those who think they've only been forgiven a little, like Simon did at this time in his life, then they only love a little. We need to understand that before we were saved, we were just like oily rags before God. We, we, we were dead. We were nothing. We were offensive to God. Without Jesus Christ, we would just stand before him absolutely condemned. But we've all been forgiven so much. And knowing that actually affects our capacity to love and forgive others. I wonder whether you could turn in your manuals to page 74. And I'm going to talk you through this parable that Jesus told. They've headed up dramatisation of Matthew Dalar, but we'll just kind of talk it through, try and understand that repayment is impossible. So Jesus told this parable in order to help us to understand this. We'll start on the third chapter down where it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, just so you can understand, 10,000 talents was a huge amount of money, more than a servant would earn in a lifetime. It's the equivalent of millions of pounds. That's what this servant owed to his master, millions and millions of pounds. I don't know how he got into such a terrible financial state. I blame the master myself for being a rash lender. But anyway, that's not the point. In the story, the point to grasp is that the servant, this first servant, owes a huge amount of money. And I suppose the reason why Jesus is using such a ridiculously huge figure is to make the point that repayment is not an option. It's not like this servant would ever have that much money. You know, it's not like, oh, hang on, I think I've got seven million here somewhere. It's just not going to happen at all. If this is going to be resolved, this issue, then it's another way has got to be found. And of course, our debt to God was too large for us to pay, which was why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. So what we understand is that mercy, if you like, is required. Let's carry on reading. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now justice, if you just flick back, I know you've got to flip between the two, but if you can just flick back to page 71, and you can see under the mercy is required part, you've got three little things there, justice, mercy, and grace. Let's just have a think about these for a second in the middle of this story. You see, justice is about fairness, rightness, giving people what they deserve and what they'd like. That, that, that's, that's what justice is all about. And God is just. He can't be unjust. 
But if he gave us what we deserve, then we would all go to hell. That's what we deserve, to be separated from him forever. But God is merciful, and he found a way to forgive us without breaking his own sense of justice. And that way was that the punishment that we deserved fell on Jesus Christ. So God has shown, he, he's shown us mercy while he's also maintained his own sense of justice by demanding a payment for our sin. It's just that we didn't have to pay. Jesus paid on the cross. Mercy, therefore, is all about giving people, is all about not giving people what they deserve. When they deserve something bad, it's all about deciding not to give it to them. And we're told to be merciful to others as God has been merciful to us. Which means in the context of forgiveness that we're looking at tonight, we are not going to give people what they deserve sometimes. What they might deserve is a smack in the mouth mm. for what they've done or said. But we choose to show them mercy and not give them what they deserve. However, we're told that we actually need to go further in our relationships with people and sometimes we actually have to give them what they don't deserve, which is kind of the definition of grace. But of course that all begins with a relationship that God has established with us and he wants us to relate to other people in the same way that he has, relate, he has related with us. So let's read on through the story and just see where this story goes because it takes a bit of a funny turn if you've never seen it or never read it before. <coughs> The master's servant took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. So there you go. The master, who's owed a million pounds, begged for lets him go, cancels the debt, and lets him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii, a denarius, they say, is a day's wages. So this debt is about three months' wages. So it's not a trivial amount. It's not that his mate owed him 20p for a lollipop, right? It was three months' wages, but it was nowhere near the millions of pounds that the servant himself had just been let off. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. It's dreadful, isn't it? It's shocking. We're supposed to go, <gasps> at that stage. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all the money he owed. And torture here, if we're thinking about the story, um, although it's saying torture, I think for us what it's really referring to is spiritual torture. God's not going to hand us over kind of Guantanamo Bay type kind of thing. But there is a spirit, often what you see in the, you know, in, in the scriptures and in parables that happens in, in a real sense in the parables really happens to us spiritually. 
And there is that sense of spiritual torment if we don't forgive. And Jesus kind of says at the end, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is warning us that if we don't forgive from our heart, what we're going to suffer is spiritual torment. We are just opening wide uh, in our life a door for Satan to come in and basically have a field day with us. So what does it mean to forgive from the heart? Well, it certainly doesn't mean just being British and kind of... We're back to page 72, by the way, on your books. What does it mean to forgive from the heart? Well, it doesn't kind of mean being British and just kind of sweeping under the carpet or giving a quick, you know, I just forgive, la la. When we come to the ministry time, it's so important if you're going to ask forgiveness to face the pain and the hurt that we are feeling. So the formula that they recommend on freedom in Christ is to say, Lord, I choose to forgive, and then name the person. Lord, I choose to forgive Joe Bloggs for... And then you need to state what they did or what they failed to do for punching me in the mouth, for failing to look after me, whatever it may be. Which made me feel. And then verbalise to God. So, Lord God, I choose to forgive Joe Bloggs for punching me in the mouth, which both hurt and made me feel really stupid in front of my friends. Actually verbalise to God the pain and let God bring that pain, if you like, to mind. It's so important that if we are going to get healed to our emotional core, we are absolutely honest with God and lay before him everything that was done and how it made us feel. See, forgiveness, though it must be extended to others, the crisis is actually between us and God. The issue is actually between us and God. Because he's the one who commands us to forgive. And so if we don't forgive, we cannot keep God separate from the equation and just say, well, I'm not forgiving because I don't like that person. God is the one who has commanded us to give, forgive. If we don't forgive, there is an issue between us and and God. We don't have to go to the other person in order to forgive them because it's between us and God. Having having been forgiven or having having asked for forgiveness from God for somebody else or having asked God's forgiveness of something you've done to somebody else, there might be a reconciliation and that's wonderful and great, but there might not be. The person concerned might be dead. You might not even know where they are anymore. It might not be safe for you to go and talk to them. It may not be wise to go and talk to them. So whether or not you're reconciled is a secondary issue. You don't forgive in order to be reconciled. You forgive in order to be free and to be put right with God. Once that happens, the enemy cannot get a foothold in your life. You will be free. If then you can be reconciled, then in some senses that's a bonus. See, we need to forgive to stop the pain. We need to forgive for our own sakes. And you might be sitting here right now, screaming, Dale, but you don't know how much they hurt me by what they did. But can't you see, if that's your reaction, the truth is they're still hurting you. 
The only way you can stop them from continuing to hurt you is to forgive. They give an example here. They say, about what about a lady whose husband has left her, which is painful, and uh, I don't want to trivialise it. If she says, look, I'm not ready to forgive, what she's in effect saying is, I'm still angry, I'm still hurting, and I'm going to keep being angry because I'm getting my own back on him. And yet the husband might be jetting off around the world, going to parties, having the time of his life. The fact is she's sitting there getting resentful and bitter and angry and someone is hurting. The problem is he's not hurting, she's hurting. And the illustration that they give to help us try and understand this is it's like if you were walking along the riverbank and a fisherman was there with a you know, line and a rod and a hook and it's like the fisherman went to cast his net and drew it back and the fishing hook got caught in your lip. When someone hurts us, it's like they've kind of hooked into us. And the fact is that somehow we're still connected to that person. We're still connected through that incident. And the truth is that it hurts. And leaving that hook in place isn't going to stop the pain. If you get hooked by a fisherman, you have to take the hook out. You need to take the hook out to stop the pain. And we tend to think that forgiving someone is kind of just like letting them off the hook, to mix up my, my illustrations. But actually, if we don't forgive, what happens is we are staying hooked to them. We're staying connected to the pain. We're staying connected to the past. Someone said unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person will die. So what is forgiveness? Because I think... If you can understand what forgiveness is, it becomes a whole lot easier to follow God's commands to forgive. So forgiveness is not forgetting. You, you, you can't get rid of hurt by simply forgetting. The, the Bible does say in Jeremiah that God will remember our sins no more, but it doesn't mean that God forgets them. It just means that he, he chooses not to use them against us. He's, he's seen our sins... He's judged them, he's found them wrong, and he's got Jesus to pay the price. They're stamped, not forgotten, but forgiven. They're paid for, they're done. So our commitment to forgive includes letting go, not bringing the things up again in our mind, using them against the person in the future. But it's not about forgetting. You can't try and just forget what happened. I think that's impossible. Secondly, forgiveness is not tolerating sin. God forgives sin, but he doesn't tolerate it, and there's a massive difference. So, again, the illustration they use here is of maybe a wife getting beaten up at home, and maybe even at some point would have maybe been given advice by a church or other well-meaning relatives, or you've got to stay at home and be submissive, and, you know, the woman's place is in the home, and all that kind of thing. I think my nan if I'm honest, suffered from a fair chunk of this. It seemed to be pretty prevalent in those days. And the Bible does tell a wife to be submissive. There are verses like that, but there are also verses that talk about the governing authorities in a nation that are supposed to put laws in place to protect wives against their beating husbands, or vice versa. So it's per perfectly possible to forgive someone and then turn them over to the police and let the law take its proper course. 
You can't just tolerate sin. It's not okay just to allow it to happen and without stopping it. You have the right to stop someone else's sin by bringing in the police or by removing yourself from a particular situation. I heard of a lady whose mother continually criticised her for years and years and years. And this lady had a wife, had a husband and children. And her mum's criticism, week after week after week, was so affecting her marriage and so affecting how she brought up her children because she just felt so criticised all the time. But she'd been brought up in a Christian home to honour her mother and father. But having heard this teaching, she realised this can't be honouring to God to see my marriage and my relationship with my children destroyed. I know my mum's got a problem. She just keeps criticising all the time. So the following Sunday, she went and told her mum. She said, Mum, I love you and I'll pray for you, but I'm not going to allow you to keep verbally abusing me anymore. My prime responsibility is to be a mother and to be a wife. And the negative effect of your criticism makes that impossible. So before God and for the sake of my marriage and my children, if you don't stop criticising me, I will not come and see you anymore. That is completely acceptable. It's not... Forgiveness is not about tolerating sin. Thirdly, forgiveness is not seeking revenge. It's not about seeking revenge. So am I telling you just to sweep it under the carpet? Absolutely not. Forgiveness is not saying it doesn't matter. Forgiveness is about saying it does matter very much. But God says this. If you entrust the matter to me, I'll make sure that it's never swept under the carpet. See, one reason why we struggle to let go and to forgive is that we want to see justice, in a sense. We want to see things brought to account. But the Bible says this, and God says this, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says God. So when we forgive, we are letting people off our hook. We are kind of taking that hook out of our mouths. But it's not like we're just throwing it away. What we're actually doing it, we're putting it on God's mouth, if you like, in the picture. We might let them off our hook, but we're kind of making sure that they're on God's hook. Because choosing to forgive is a step of faith. We're putting our trust in God that he will be a righteous God who promises that one day he will make everything right because everything done against you will be paid for by someone. Everyone who has sinned against you, that person that you thought of when I first asked you to think of the person who'd done the worst thing to you or said the worst thing to you, one day they will stand before God and have to give an account for what they did and what they said to you. And either that will be paid for if they're a Christian by the blood of Christ. So Jesus suffered on the cross literally for the sin that they committed against you. Or if they're not a Christian, they will suffer God's judgment in hell being separated from him forever. So your sin, no matter how bad, gets paid for either by Jesus dying on the cross or by that person themselves being separated from God forever. 
See, in choosing to forgive, what you're effectively doing is you're handing over all that pain and that desire for justice and revenge, but you're handing it over to God. You're not sweeping it under the carpet. You're not trying to forget it. You're actually saying, God, you are the just God. I'm going to hand this over to you, which means that from that moment, you can walk free from it. Of course, we do have to resolve that we have to live with the consequences of another's sin. Forgiveness is agreeing that you're going to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. And although that might not be fair, the truth is that you have to do that anyway. No matter what someone's done to you or said to you, you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. The only choice that we have is whether we live in the bondage of bitterness and unforgiveness, still connected to that person and to that pain, still being hurt by them, even though we may not have seen them for years. We either live in that place, or we, are, we can live in the freedom of forgiveness, whereby we accept that we will not judge or take revenge, but that God one day will see that everything is right and accounted for. So in conclusion, and we won't have time for a discussion, <coughs> forgiveness is actually about setting a captive free and then realising that you were the captive. It's primarily an issue between you and God, and God wants you to forgive because he knows that the bitterness that comes from unforgiveness will stop you from having that abundant life that Jesus came to give you. So remember, this is not about right or wrong. It's about clearing the rubbish out of your life and then walking free from it. And it's not for the other person's sake or benefit. It's for your sake and benefit. I wonder whether I can just pray for us and then we'll end this session. Father, I do... Thank you for the amazing forgiveness that each one of us has received from you. I do thank you for that forgiveness. And Father, I also want to pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that you would give us a right understanding around this whole topic of forgiveness. That, Father, it's not about sweeping things on, under the carpet. And it's not about just trying to forget. But rather it is about placing that incident and that person in your hands. That we might be free of it so that our past doesn't determine our future. And I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters here and myself. Will you help us to forgive others? so that we might walk free in you. And I, I want to pray, particularly if there's anybody here for who this really is a big issue. Father, I pray that even tonight or this week, Lord, I, I pray that you would help them to choose to forgive and to extend forgiveness so that they might find freedom freedom from the hurts of the past. 
Lord, we don't just want to talk about this stuff. We want to do it. And so I pray that even tonight, even this week, Lord, you would stir us and speak to us. If there are people in our lives and incidents from the past that have a hold over us, Lord, I pray that you would show us and that we would forgive those people from the heart and that we would find a freedom from doing that. That we would find that the pain and the hurt is healed. So Father, I pray that you would help us with that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, well, we are bang on half past uh, nine. We won't have a discussion.